Welcome to Pushing Through. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong, and today we have a very special guest. He's a senior writer for The Athletic. You may have seen him at Sports Illustrated. You must. You may have seen him at USA Today. You may see him on Twitter, but he's a man that knows NBA basketball, and he just got out of the bubble. He has an offseason ahead of him, but Sam Amick, thank you for joining Pushing Through. We're very excited to have you here. Of course, Tate, BJ, I appreciate you. BJ, you're doing something right when they still are calling you the kid at this age. Oh, man. I, I like know, that. I, 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 I don't know why. You know, it's just kind of one of those things that stuck with you. You know, sometimes some things good stick with you, some things bad stick with you, you know. so But it's no all question. good, man. How you doing, my friend? It's uh, good to see you back. And uh, we were just talking before we came on. How, how's it being back with the family? It's great. It's great. As you know, so I live near Sacramento, Northern California guy. Uh, for a long time, you know, making that trip from Orlando back home was culture shock, man. You spend two months inside the bubble. And as I'm sure people you've talked to who were in that environment, it, it just, it reached a point where you felt like you, you were on the safest place uh, on the planet. You know what I mean? Everybody's getting tested every day. Everybody's playing by the same rules. Everybody's masking up. And so you had this kind of, this ease about you. Uh, and then it was something else, you know, leaving that going through airports, trying to get home and getting back to regular life. I honestly, I think, I mean, everybody has said it. I give the NBA a ton of credit, Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, and that whole group that got that thing to the finish line. Um, But yeah, coming back home was, it was weird. And then now a couple days in, it's nice. I mean, it's nice to get up and make your own coffee and make your own eggs and, and get back in the rhythm again. You didn't get Jimmy Butler's coffee on with the big head coffee. (laughs) This is like 25 bucks a big face or something. (laughs) Big face, man. It's funny, as an aside, one of my regrets of the, the bubble, there were some really, really cool moments between media and players and coaches because you're sharing this space that we're never going to have that environment again. So one of the regrets is that I tried to convince Jimmy to come play one of our pickleball games when I would play with the refs, you know, and that was his <laughs> dream. So if we have a bubble again, I'm going to try to get Jimmy over there to the pickleball court. But, but yeah, no, no big face coffee. Yeah, you know, well, Sam, we have to ask about that, you know, two-month experience being inside the bubble and being around the players. We know that, you know, the media, obviously, it seemed to be like a, a bonding experience for a lot of the media that were there and there together, and obviously the sure. players and the coaches and everyone that was there. But was there anything that was just a different wrinkle that now that you've re-entered society, the re-entry period, that you're like, wow, that was, you know, upon reflection, that was a really special moment. I could have I played, you know, a random game cornhole or something with Chris Paul or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. No, yeah. there was there was a lot of that. It's funny. And I need to write about this at some point. Um, the referee experience was fun and enlightening from this standpoint. As you guys know, I mean, BJ, you spent your whole career. You get to know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's the, the smart players. You learn their names. You might want to learn their wives' <laughs> names, you know, and you try to play the politics. But we don't really interface with the referees at all. Um, they are, for all intents and purposes, off limits to the media. And this was very different. You're talking about Scott Foster, as you guys have heard, you know, being the commissioner, so to speak, of the pickleball court, he brings out a pickleball net and and created this environment in the middle of our section of the property that became like a real communal space where everybody came and competed. Richard Jefferson was out there every single day teaming <laughs> up with Zach Zarba, with uh, Kane Fitzgerald. And so, for me, that was a major, major highlight. I mean, a quick story for you guys. You know, Scott, I learned, I mean, Scott is a, a good dude who was like a mentor and a teacher when it comes to the pickleball, but he's also, a, I don't know if I, you know, if we're G-rated here, but it's just a total smart ass. And a guy <laughs> who, 
who was a trash talker. So he would encourage you. And then I had this one serve that I thought was kind of wicked and, and I was feeling myself a little bit. And here comes Scott from the sideline yelling at me going, Hey Sam, that serve is illegal as bleep. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, Scott, you know, nice to really meet you. Now I'm starting to understand who you really are. So the referees, you know, that was a highlight. Some stuff with players. Um, I was sitting one night out by the Laguna Lake, the, the lake in the middle of the property. And I'm sitting there writing a story with my laptop out. And I had the athletic uh, logo on the back of my laptop. So about a table away, I see a player, but it's real dark. And to be honest with you, I just wasn't paying attention. I didn't know who was sitting there. And, and I look up and this guy is kind of saying hello. And it's Stanley Johnson. And mm. Stanley sees my computer and he wants to have a conversation about media and about how our industry works. And we had this really cool vibe. And we sat there talking and his girlfriend was there too. And we're talking for 40 minutes, you know, about yeah. his, his industry, my industry, that type of stuff. We don't get those opportunities in regular times. So that stuff was happening quite a bit. Mm. You know, Sam, now that you had a chance to get down there and you're in these, this really intimate environment, is there anyone that you met in this bubble that you go, totally, I didn't expect them to be this way. Like, who did you strike up? Everything? You had this preconceived notion of what you thought they were, and you're like, wow, they were, they were pretty cool, sure, or they sure, were sure. not <laughs> as cool. <laughs> Anyone that just stuck out? So uh, so not to keep going too far down the referee road, uh, both, <laughs> like, it's Scott Foster, man. Like, because Scott, mm. you thought, his, his, you know, he's got the beef with Chris Paul. He's got the narrative <laughs> that he's not that well-liked. Right. Um, so, so part of the other pickleball story is this, we played the media members played one day for the very first time, but we didn't really know if we were allowed to play. We didn't really know whose court it was. We kind of waited for the referees to go away and then we just played. So the gear was still out there. So we play, I think two days in a row on day number three, we walk out to play again and the net is gone. It's just gone. Like the whole court is gone. So we hit up somebody from the NBA uh, in PR. We said, hey, any idea what happened here? Long story short, he reaches out to Scott. Now, we get a note back that says, essentially, that Scott says that somebody left a mess out there, and they have a phrase called sweeping the shed, and that <laughs> somebody didn't sweep the shed. And if you don't sweep the shed, then we're not going to have a game. And so at first, we're kind of hot. Like, man, this is classic Scott Foster. Look at him, like being kind of a jerk, you know? <laughs> he's, he's, he's taking his ball and going home. Now, I was guilty of... of kind of buying into the hype and the label um what ended up happening was scott could not have been nicer he hits us back and says no it was somebody else who didn't clean up i didn't realize you guys wanted to play i'll come meet you right now and give you the rules give you the lowdown and by the end of this whole thing i mean he was very good friends with everybody in that crew and he was entertaining so he he definitely probably leads that list um beyond that bj like to your question some of the players what I loved was that because the media core was so much smaller, you know, you're talking about a grand total of 18 reporters from beginning to end mm. that, that were that non ESPN and TNT. So the ones who don't have a league partnership, uh, 18 total. So now all of a sudden, even LeBron, like I dealt with LeBron plenty, but when you sit in a closer uh, or a smaller environment in terms of people involved, and you have not just a press conference, but it felt like a conversation. 
You know what mm, I mean? Like, right. Because all the reporters know each other. So it's like, you know, Dave McMenamin from ESPN asked a good question and I'm up next. And now all of a sudden you're kind of going, wait a minute, I was going to ask this, but that's interesting. Let me build off of what he said. And everybody has like a synergy that is a lot harder to have when you're inside the Staples Center and there's 40 people in a scrum, if that makes right, sense. So, right, right. yeah, and, that part was really different. And what are the things you see like on a beat, right, Sam? Like a, as a beat reporter, a beat writer, you have everyone sitting around on that 15-minute media scrum and they're asking questions and there's that competition. of Usually there's one or two stories that come out of a game, but it felt like in right. the bubble there were so many stories, right, that you guys – like you said, I, I, you still want to write about the referees that you were dealing with within the bubble. There's still still stories to tell a little bit from the oh, media. Yeah. So, so was that fun too, where it didn't feel as much of a competitive situation where everyone was kind of together as one media unit? It did because you had both. Hey, like you had you 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 were vibing together, and I mean, it sounds corny, but like I just had uh, Jared Greenberg on my mm. podcast, obviously NBA TV and TNT, and and Jared said something about how it's like if you were there together you're never going to forget it we're talking about when we're going to have a reunion as a group you know and, <laughs> really? and, and we nominate well we nominated steve smith to go to smitty's house because we think he might have the biggest <laughs> house <laughs> <Smitty's>. so, <laughs> even so like you you were in it together but then you also competed you know like the part of mm. me that's competitive got up every day and read uh, everybody who was in the bubble to see like, all right, this is what I was able to, to put together. These are the conversations I had and the information I had. And so I feel pretty good about my work. Let me go see what Dan Wojcicki did at the LA Times. Mm -hmm. Let me go, you know, let me go read Chris Haynes and see what Chris had. Um, that part was fun. It felt like sports writer camp. I mean, it was between, to my wife's credit, she told me early on, she's like, listen, honey, like, just as, as you, if you keep yourself straight in terms of having a good time and, and just and kind of sailing through this experience, it was going to make it easier on her at home. And I kind of leaned into that, like, man, I'm just going to work and I'm going to have a glass of wine and I'm going to play some pickleball and I'm going to, you know, get to know these people. Um, there were parts of it that were incredibly enjoyable. Now on the front end and parts of like, yeah, is it stressful when, you're trying to just live and you look over your shoulder and there's a security guard going to yell at you again. Cause your mask came down for sure. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we had a pretty small lot on the property. It, it psychologically, it is kind of taxing to have someone tell you like, yeah, it might look like a nice spot to sit over there, but guess what? You're not allowed. You can't go past, you know, this barrier, that stuff did get old, but there were plenty of positives too. Hmm. Hmm. And I want to ask about the uh, the locker room. You wrote a story about the Lakers locker room experience because we did get a champion down in the bubble, and I think that was the the big question going into it. Will we get an NBA champion? We did. The LA Lakers win, and then you were there for that experience. One of the things I saw was LeBron's like pouring champagne on Chris Haynes at one point. You know what I mean? That was what I, what yeah. I kind of you know to, to I was to right next to him exactly <laughs> to describe the media yeah, scrum, yeah. right? Like that's how close you guys yeah. were to that atmosphere. So how, how important was that, and how you know interesting was that to see that you know come to be and see the Larry O'Brien trophy get delivered like that? Yeah. I mean, it just humanized everything for everybody again, because the group is smaller, like the Lakers are celebrating and Danny green grabs his bottle of champagne. And, and honestly, it's like the family and friends, I think at that time were not allowed back where the players were. And so it kind of reached a point where I, I think by default, Danny and LeBron ended up just kind of saying, well, we got to spray somebody and the media is just standing here 
you know, waiting to talk to us. And so Danny rolls up and hits a few people. LeBron does the same. My old buddy from USA Today, uh, Jeff Zilgit, Jeff was standing right in front of me. And when I saw LeBron coming, like, I'm just going to own it. I, I completely wussed out and, and used Jeff as my shield. Like I ducked <laughs> under Jeff and I, so I didn't get hit. And then, so LeBron makes a, a second lap towards our group and he kind of ends up targeting Haynes, who he obviously gets along well with. And man, he not only hits Chris, I told Chris, and I did write this, I said, hey, I, I try to get permission from media members if I'm going to put their name in my column. Right. So I was like, just so you know, I'm going to put a line in my column that says that when you got hit with champagne and you almost fell down, you look like a baby giraffe that was trying to learn how to walk. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> his legs are wobbling and he almost <laughs> hits the deck. So, I mean, that stuff was crazy. And, and then what was neat and has got, I think is cool for the players is that, you know, everybody you asked said that, yeah, it would have been great in Staples Center and with the fans, but a championship is a championship. And it, I don't think it really stole any of their joy when it comes to reaching that mountaintop. You know, I mean, they the smiles were just as big. The cigar smoke was, you know, just as, as kind of prominent. Uh, they had a good time with it. So, I mean, and, yeah, not to keep rambling, guys, but that debate that we've had about, is there going to be an asterisk on this championship? Like I am just 100% in the camp that there is not. I think in fact, it might be the opposite. You know, this was a grueling thing. The Lakers got through and I give them a ton of credit for, for being uh, there at the end on top. Yes, I, I want to ask you about that. Um, at least into my next question is, so how impressive was, was it or watching it over the last two months or so watching these players perform under this type of pressure in this environment with no fans. And what did you see that was like, you've covered the NBA for years. What was the difference with, of covering it under this, under these circumstances, what made it a totally different than what we would normally see in arenas and, you know, home court and visiting and all those things. Because the one thing sure. that I found was interesting was no one ever talked about home court advantage. Right. right. <laughs> I did. I I read your articles that I never heard you say. Well, you know, I no one's defending a home court advantage. It was like, okay, we got, right. you know, we we have we have a seven game series, and let's see who's going to win four. <laughs> it was like, right, it was, it right, was, right. It was interesting. I mean, they tried obviously to have the programming, you know, geared towards the team that technically was the quote unquote home team, right. and and that I mean, they did a, a good job. The the program that stuff was was. I think it worked well on TV. I think in terms of the presentation, it was fine. I just don't think it had any impact on the play. You know what I mean? Like none of those players cared that if it's a Lakers home game and a call goes against the Lakers, that some guy in the back hit the button that makes the booze come down. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause that was, I mean, it was, it was like, you're almost kind of, you know, giving them the golf clap, like job well done. It's creative but it doesn't make a difference. You know, it was really like an AAU setting. Just like you said, BJ, seven games, made the best team win. Um, I Again, here's the thing. To your question about the players competing, I think all in all, it was a wonderful level of competition. There were some bad moments, some seeding games where, you know, teams are resting guys and it's ugly. But considering some of the concerns that there were going in, I mean, I remember talking to a GM, of one of the teams that, uh, you know, on the fringe of the playoffs that he just thought it could have been a train wreck, that you were going to have 
players who didn't want to be in the bubble and who were basically going to give up early and it was mm-hmm. going to make the product look bad. And there was all these worst case scenarios that, that he kind of chronicled one day when we had a conversation and that kind of got me a little curious right. and concerned. And in the end, we didn't really see it, especially in the playoffs. And what you could see is players adjusting their mentalities to this environment. So for one, there were a couple times when I asked players, like essentially if they cared at all about some of the people who were there on hand cheering them on. Like I asked, I think LeBron or one of them, like Rob Palenka was pretty vocal. He would clap, he would pull his mask down and yell at the ref. So I remember asking a player, like, <laughs> does that, is that even on your radar when you're on the court? All Every single player I asked said, man, it's so dark in that area that we don't even hear it. We don't even see it. Um, so you really had no fans, but they still competed at a high level uh, and they found ways to change their routine before and after the game. So one example, Jamal Murray and I had this interesting conversation in the second round, I think it was, where he shared with me that in normal non-COVID times, he would take like a two-hour pregame nap. You know, that was his routine. Well, in the bubble, he took a five-hour nap before every game. And no, he got went to heart- sleep. That wasn't a nap. That's what he I'm saying. I was like, that's not a nap. That's just a bad night of sleep. Uh-uh. But, but he had this, it was a little bit like LeBron. He had this locked-in mentality where it's like, I'm here for one job. And the truth is, if I, those extra three hours that he slept, all he was going to be doing if he was awake is playing video games or FaceTiming with somebody, or there's just not that much to do. And mm. you had time to kill and you had to kind of keep your mentals in check. Um, and, and I think some guys were, were better at it than others. And it's hard because you don't ever want to be, you know, I applaud anybody who was open about their struggle. You know, Paul George talked about the mental health side of it. And so you, you empathize with somebody like that. Um, but I think it's okay to also applaud the guys that for whatever reason appear to have really been able to come through without distraction, without letting it get to them and play at a high level the whole time. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, NHTSA. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't ever to the naked eye trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are and they can't stop quickly even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away it can take a train over a mile to stop that's right over a mile by that time it's too late and the result is a potentially deadly crash the point is you can't know how quickly the train will arrive the train can't stop quickly even if it sees you it ends in disaster if the signals are on the train is on its way and you just need to remember one thing stop trains can't And we're also brought to you by Raycon. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market and that they sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, 
and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. Raycom's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts like this one, like pushing through, binge it. You've heard us talk about the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, Brandy, and J.R. Smith. They are all obsessed with Raycons. Pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Get 50% off your order at buyraycon.com slash pushing. That's buyraycon.com slash pushing for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash pushing. Back to the podcast. And we always hear basketball is a mental game, right? That's always the note that you hear. It's not just, you know, the physical sport of it. And, you know, Michael Jordan right. is one of those people that everyone points to it. Rondo, after the championship, he basically said that the mental aspect was what got him to that place to be a quote-unquote champion. Um, and I think that was a big part of this. So what do you think was the biggest factor in the teams that were able to compete? We heard about heat culture. They all seemed to like each other and hang out with each other. So people thought that was a big impact for their success in the bubble. The Lakers, like you said, they had a one goal, one, one train, you know, mind, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it. Right. So what, what was the one thing that you would say was the successful piece that every team that they were going to compete in this version of the NBA season had to have in the bubble? I really think it, you hit on it already, Tate. I think liking each other mattered a lot. And mm -hmm. and now listen, talent's talent. So, you know, uh, a team that was, you know, at the bottom of the playoffs and, and they liked each other, didn't have enough talent, fine. They don't get to the finals. But Miami is the perfect example of a group that has, you know, absolutely embraced Jimmy Butler. And I didn't spend a lot of time around the heat during the regular season before the stoppage in March. And so for me, it was a joy being West Coast based. Now, all of a sudden, to go be around the heat and try to learn about their group, all I had to do was roll out of bed and walk like 300 yards <laughs> to where they practice. And so I would go to heat practice. And let's say that, you know, media time was at 2.30, but practice was supposed to be completely over. You would walk into that big conference room where they had their court, and you would see guys you know, basically volunteering or choosing to stay an hour after, 90 minutes after. Um, I took a video one day, I think it was Myers Leonard, Goron, and Jimmy playing this game where they were like hacky sacking the basketball and trying to kick it <laughs> up into the hoop. And it was like a bunch of boys just having fun. And you saw that all the time with the Heat. You know, I had another day that was memorable where uh, I mentioned earlier, reporter and friend, Jeff Zilgit was doing a one-on-one -on -one interview with Goron leaving practice. So they're walking down the hallway. I'm hanging out, kind of waiting for Jeff to finish to go to lunch. So I'm, for all intents and purposes, I'm like Jeff's buddy waiting for Jeff. Mm. Well, Goron's buddy was Jimmy. And so now Jimmy and I are kind of hanging for 20 minutes waiting for Goron and, and Jeff to stop talking. But Jimmy's not going anywhere until Goron's done because they spend time together because they it's a little bit like LeBron and AD, right? Where, mm -hmm. you know, their connection was pretty obvious. So I think that stuff mattered a lot because some of these other teams, I mean, do I think there's a correlation between the Clippers chemistry struggles and their on court struggles in the end? Absolutely. You know, even the Celtics who had, I think a really good group, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of a, uh, kind of a collective toll taken when they had their locker room situation late in the playoffs when Marcus Smart was upset and guys are yelling and screaming. Um, so I think liking each other mattered a lot. And then leadership. I mean, LeBron on the one side with the Lakers, Jimmy on the other side. Uh, it was pretty clear for both those two teams, you know, who, who everybody was following. Mm. You know, something that you've been down there 
now you are you got to add another title to your to your to your name you are a premier scout you've seen the best players for the last two months you've seen the best players right you're yeah, there yeah. yeah so i'm going to ask you who's winning the championship next year you've you ah. <laughs> who's winning the champion you've had a chance to scout all of the teams you've seen the right. best You've seen the best 22 teams for the last two months, a minimum of right. eight games. Right. Who's going to win the championship next year? I just – it's it's fairly wide open, BJ, but I can't – it's the obvious pick. It's that purple and gold behind you. Really? Because here's my thing. Because I don't know where the Clippers are at now. You know, mm-hmm. Ty Lue is a very good coach, and I'm very curious to see what he's able to do. I like the continuity of Ty and the relationships he built with the Clippers group. Um, but it's just, it's a little messy there right now. Kawhi and Paul a year away from free agency. I don't think they're going anywhere because obviously we know they want to stay in their home region, but I think there's question marks there. And with LeBron and AD, if they had nothing else around them, um, they were the most reliable commodity in my opinion in the entire bubble, because with the heat, what they did, they played above their heads. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the Bucks are going to do in their response to the shortcomings of this year. You know, I don't know where Boston's going to be. Um, so I'm just going to go on the, the the tandem that I have zero questions about. Now we are obviously assuming, as as our guy at the Athletic, uh, Sean Sharani, reported the other day, that AD is going to resign. Nobody's surprised by that. And so AD locked up, LeBron not looking like he's slowing down. Um, they've got plenty of role player contracts to figure out a bunch of player options. And so some uncertainty in terms of the supporting cast, but the, uh, those two guys, you know, if you got nothing else, that's pretty damn good. Mm. I got mm. one more question to my scout, yes, to sir. my good friend, the scout. <laughs> yes. How good is that kid? Luka Doncic? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> How good is that? Kid? That's the I need I, one... I, my television didn't tell me the true picture. You know, scouting in person is a, a totally different game. Now I'm going back to my scouting days. How good is that person? How good is that kid? Man, and you see him in crazy. person. I gotta look over my shoulder because you know where I live, Luca. If you talk oh, about, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How good is that kid, though? I mean, he looks. He looks He's just. I mean, it's a special moment. He's insane. But but it also it's not just the talent. It, it's a little bit like the conversation we had about the bubble and psyche and all those things like Luca's mentality is one thing I think people were sleeping on maybe they just didn't know because they didn't scout him overseas but his mentality is you know from day one he's the kind of guy that would you know and I, hypothetically meet LeBron for the first time shake his hand oh my gosh I'm so flattered to meet you and then the next day try to bust his ass like mm-hmm. that's that's how he is and he's not afraid of anybody and he's chippy now he's it's funny because for one in terms of the scouting part, people are still sleeping on how big he is. You know, he, right. he gets treated like he's a 5'10", 170-pounder. <laughs> um, you know, he's a big boy. And so you had a Montrez Harrell trying to get under his skin and thinking that he was going to be easily punked. And he wasn't, you know. he's. I'm not trying to say I'm going to pick Luca in a fight against Montrez, but, like, <laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> you know. but, but he's got that moxie that matters a lot. And I did a bunch of reporting on Luca this year and talking to their coaching staff and learning about behind the scenes, how he moved and you can move like he does when you, the results come with it, because man, right out the gate, 
you know, he's looking a, a veteran coach like Rick Carlisle dead in the eye and saying, I don't like that you do this, you know, and Rick's like, excuse me. And in the beginning they, you know, they had some friction and they worked through that. And then Rick is smart enough to know when he's got something special. And so before you know it, you know, they both kind of assimilate and they have a good thing going. So he's special, you know, Porzingis' surgery obviously is a, is an unfortunate thing. So I don't know kind of what version of him we're going to get whenever the season starts. But yeah, I mean, Luca, you, you know, the age old question of like, who do you start a team with right now? Right. I mean, a whole lot of GMs are, are going with Luca for sure. Mm. I got one more thing for you. Yep. I I was watching the games there and I'm, I'm going to my scout now. You're, you're, you're my scout. <laughs> I like it. I like who it. Who could win a race between me and Jokic? <laughs> hey, so you you Man, wouldn't I'm expected like... that question. Who can win a race? Who can win a, who can run you, a down and back between me and Jokic right now? I'm 53. <laughs> who you putting your money on, Sam? We want to know. I, DJ, I know they call you the kid, but but I think you might you might have lost a step, you know. Yeah. I, I, Jokic, he's better than ever. I'm gonna say that. Like he right. shed some weight and and I did enjoy when they played the Lakers. First of all, Jokic versus Dwight Howard was one of my favorite battles in the entire postseason mm -hmm. because Dwight was just a playground bully who was literally in Jokic's ear. I swear to God, if we ever find out the kind of stuff Dwight was saying to him, like, you know, Dwight's going to be shamed forever because I don't think it was very nice. Like, he was, <laughs> he was all up in him. But Jokic knew that the Lakers transition game was lethal. And to see him do his best to go end-to-end -end with that frame that, that is lighter than it used to be, but he's still a very big boy, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm impressed by that. And I think as a result, BJ, I'm going to pick Jokic. Oh, Sam, I can't have my wife agree against me. And then you, hey, I, I was depending on you to say this. I wanted to show this to my wife. She's like, I don't think hey, so, honey. Wait a minute. You're the one who told me you came on my pod months ago. You were nice enough to. And you're the one who told me that, like, man, when you step on that treadmill at this age, Everything hurts. It's oh, everything. Same. It hurts. But, uh, I think I could get him. I felt good. Maybe I was just feeling good that day. I think I could get him in a race. I could get him. I'm just saying, you're not inspiring confidence in me. I feel like you're, you know. I know. That, that, that's funny. Knows, I, I, I spoke to uh, Rick Mahorn recently. He was so proud of Dwight Howard. He was like, he had flashbacks of the bad boys. He, was, he thought the Dwight Howard and the Jokic, he was like, that guy could have played for us. So mm, yeah. all of the Pistons were, uh, they were really excited about watching Dwight Howard and uh, God, he, I mean, Jokic was fantastic. I mean, that was a great series. And they, I mean, I mean, if you're a Clipper fans, please, you know, tune off right now, but that was right. an incredible series, mm. incredible series against the Clippers and uh, Denver. That was, it was, it was. was. A, and I mean, it was, it was weird for me guys. Cause like on the Clippers side, and we so we wrote a pretty tough story back in February about their chemistry issues. And just being honest here, like my favorite types of organizations, uh, and I give the Lakers some credit for this, like when you write stuff that might not be flattering or that the team might not want out there, but it's true, I respect the organizations who just kind of keep it moving. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. like, like the Lakers – and, you know, and I get along well with Jeannie Buss. Like, Jeannie is always like, it's about the work. Like, you guys can praise us. You can kill us. 
do your thing. It's about the work. We don't let it get to us. Uh, the Clippers were hot about the story that we wrote. And to a degree, and, you know, I mean, listen, I love Doc, but, I mean, Doc was definitely coming at us a little bit with that stuff. And and to see it go from, you know, them acting like they didn't have any chemistry concern to then seeing a lot of that stuff kind of play out was – it was interesting. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not any – we wrote in the beginning, none of this stuff was personal. You didn't have – you really just had a classic case of, an old core of the Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell group that the year before did some special things as an underdog, mm-hmm. trying to mesh with two big time stars in Kawhi and Paul George and two guys who, for the most part, Kawhi is incredible, but he's not the most vocal leader, you know? And, and so they tried to mesh these two things and it didn't always work. And then to their defense, Hey, by the way, add in, a bunch of COVID cases, add in mm. the Lou Williams distraction, um, add in, you know, other things therein. They had a lot of obstacles. Obviously it fell apart. Uh, but who knows, maybe next year they get it right and, and prove me wrong with my Lakers prediction. Mm. Mm. Well, Sam, we appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you finally putting out to the world that Jokic can't beat BJ in a race. We all need right. to hear that <laughs> on this day. Uh, we, we appreciate you coming on, man. This has been great. We'd love to talk to you about more of the offseason stuff, but you deserve a break. And uh, once again, we appreciate you coming on, pushing through, man. Of course. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks. Sam, Perfect. I can beat Jokic. I know I can. I know. I'm not giving up on that. I can beat him in a race. I can, I can beat him in a race. DJ, I mean, you got enough juice. This needs to become a segment on somebody's, you know, this is players only, like something. Come on, uh, man. I can beat Jokic in a race. No, you great, can do it. Man. <laughs>